The psalmist says it this way, surely goodness and steadfast love will pursue me, will follow me, will run after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm sure as you listen to the choir's testimony and song, what I'm thinking is this. I'm thinking, whoever wrote that and said that, they know the same God I know. And one of the great blessings of racking up some decades of knowing the Lord is you can think through case after case and crisis after crisis where God has shown himself faithful and his steadfast love sure, where he's actually run after you. He's tracked you down with his goodness. And we are here today to testify to it. The first Thanksgiving celebration in our country expressed deep gratitude that the colony had even survived, pioneering in a new continent far away from the old country with a deep sense of being strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The fall of the year is harvest time, and there's good reason for gratitude because the labors of the spring and the summer have paid off. Food for the winter and seed for planting in the spring has all been gathered in. In an agricultural society, all this makes perfect sense. But in a time and in a civilization like ours, where we don't worry much about survival, it seems kind of a given, when we get our food from places far removed from where it actually comes from, with little awareness of all the work it took to get it to our tables, thankfulness often seems to drown in a sea of entitlement. We can click on an icon on our phones, and whatever we want is delivered to our doorstep by the next day, if not the same day. Virtual becomes reality, and reality, with all its crises and difficulties, can seem far away and unnecessary. Such a culture can make people forget just how dependent they actually are on God for their very survival. It's a dangerous place to be. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So how can we cultivate genuine gratitude that is more than just feasting together on the fourth Thursday of November with a bit of tanked on thanks? How can we remind ourselves just how good we have it because of God Himself and all that He has done for us? The verses in Romans 1 about the danger of being ungrateful to God point us the right direction. For the very creation around us testifies to God's existence and His kindness and His power 
His goodness is all around us if we would but look and see. So to fire up the gratitude of our hearts, will you travel with me back to the beginning when nothing that we enjoy today even existed? The only reason it is here at all is God. The very first chapter in your Bibles, Genesis 1, you may want to turn there in your copy of the Bible. There are copies in the pew rack in front of you. It's not hard to find because it's the first page. It's a great place to begin. Follow with me as I read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give a light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give a light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. 
And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. It's a lengthy passage that led to the natural observation this week from one of the other pastors. That's a lot to cover in one sermon. So let's think, let's think of this passage along these lines. When God created the universe, including planet Earth, he gave us, first off, a place to live, a place to live, verses 1 through 25. And then in 26 to 28, He gave us a purpose to fulfill, and because we would need strength for that journey, in 29 to 30, He gave us provision to sustain us, gave us food, and it was all good, very good. Consider with me first this great reason for our genuine thanksgiving to God, and that's that God, from the beginning, gave us a place to live. And rather than reading through the first 25 verses again, I, I'd like you to take your Bible and look down through them. So take a copy of the Bible, look down through them. I'm going to turn to it myself, okay? And what I'd like you to do is, is look at the subjects and verbs, Look at the subjects and verbs. Over and over again, God is the subject. He is the one taking action. God created. God was hovering. God said. God separated. God called. God made, God saw, God set, God blessed. And many of those verbs are used multiple times. This is a chapter about God. And this is a chapter about a God who has taken action to make for us a place suitable for us to thrive. Look at the components of that. First, the first thing God created was light. Let there be light, and there was light. Visible light is electromagnetic radiation that the human eye can perceive from long wavelengths of infrared to short wavelengths of ultraviolet. Without visible light, we perceive no color. Think about no color. Think about no light. There is electromagnetic radiation that at least in physics is also called light that we cannot see. Gamma rays, X-rays, 
microwaves, radio waves. We can't see them with the naked eye, but they're there, and we see the effect of them, and we benefit them. All of them have value and uses. Think about the differences that light makes in your life just in terms of how it cheers your soul. Ever had a long, dark night, very discouraging? There's something about the light of the sun breaking over the horizon that just lifts your soul. If I can only make it to the morning, I'll be okay. Think about how light protects you from stumbling along and groping in the dark. Think about the fact that light is necessary for plants to live and to grow. And because here at the beginning, plants are given to us to eat, it's necessary for all life, all life itself, light. But for God, we would grope in darkness. It's only in his light that we see light. Remember how John introduced Jesus, the word, in the prologue of his gospel? In John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, all things are made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we've seen later in John how Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm, I'm, like, I'm the Shekinah glory, the shining light of the presence of God in the world leading you through this wilderness. God made us a place to live with light, and then he gave us skies, which the text calls heaven. Now, this is different from the heavenly city. Genesis 1 is talking about the atmosphere around the earth where clouds hold water to be distributed upon the earth where, where birds and airplanes fly, and then, and then beyond that, because he set the sun and moon and stars in the expanse, you, you have a, a second heaven, if you will. In fact, it's interesting, it's always in the scriptures and the Hebrew language is always plural, the heavens, um, because there's different layers. And we can actually see that with photography from out in outer space. We can see the different, different layers of sky. So every time you look to the skies to check the weather or to trace the beauty of a cloud formation or, or just the peaceful calm of looking up on a clear day, remember that all of that God put there on the first week of creation. And then he gave us earth and seas. Currently, 71% of the earth's surface is water. And there was a time, though, when it was all water. For the Scripture says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters when the earth was formless and void. And at the worldwide flood of Noah's day, when God judged the earth for its wickedness, it was all water once again, covered with water, and then God started over with Noah's family. Genesis 1.9 says, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. We do most of our working, moving, sleeping, and living on the 29% of the earth that is land. Every step we take, every furrow we plow, everything we build depends on our having solid ground on which to do it. 
The only reason it's there is that God made it so. And when we head to the rivers and lakes and oceans, and we like to do that, we are glad they have boundaries. When they break the boundaries, it's usually a disaster. We travel over them, we fish in them, we explore them because they have been gathered to definite places by God. And then God gave us vegetation and fruit, fruits and vegetables. Eat your fruits and vegetables, kids. Um, all reproducing after its kind. Think, think about all the variety. Think about the shade of the forest. Think about the food that comes from your gardens. Think about the landscapes that stretch out as far as the eye can see. Think about the fields. All of this a gift from God to give us a place suitable to live. And then the stars and planets and sun and moon, and they're not just there for decoration. They're given to us for times and seasons and to define day and night. Get out away from the lights of the city and look up into a night sky. And even with no telescope, it is awe-inspiring. What is man that you're mindful of him, the psalmist cries, and we cry that with him. It makes us feel very small. And, and, and when we start getting to telescopes and we start realizing that our galaxy is one of who knows how many galaxies, and we realize how vast the, the universe actually is, then we're blown away. You don't have to be an astrophysicist. You, you don't have to know much about astronomy, actually, to be amazed. But if you do study and explore more, the wonder only increases exponentially. The vastness of our universe is mind-blowing. And yet God calls the stars by name, all of them, and at the same time tenderly tends to the needs of the brokenhearted tucked away in some dark corner of the world. Psalm 147 puts it this way, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God can actually see your heart. He knows where you actually are, whatever cheerful face you might have. He sees that and he tends to that. He determines the number of the stars he gives them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And then we learn from Genesis 1 that God set the sun and moon and stars in place for times and seasons. The, the magnetic pull of the moon sets the tides, the rotation of the earth around the sun and, and the sun's own rotation, both day and night, the seasons of the year all connected to these heavenly bodies. God holds all things together by His power, according to Colossians 1. He is Lord of history. He is King of the eras and the seasons. He oversees and controls the rise and fall of nations, peoples, and kings, and He does so that they might seek the Lord, Acts 17. He is the Lord of every day you live. And when the sun rises... He testifies to the fact. And when the moon waxes and wanes, he testifies to it. And when the stars glitter at night, he says, what I set in place will continue to operate as I deem right. 
Then he gave us sea creatures and birds. Think of the whales and sharks, the fish, great and small, every variety and, and color. Can, consider the way an aquarium sets you in awe, particularly if you go to one of those huge ones, the walk-in types, and, and what it's like to watch the seagulls at the beach diving for fish and the, the dolphins surfacing along the shore. And there are sea creatures so deep and water so dark where the pressure is so great that we have yet to discover them. There are living beings in the sea and air that once were everywhere but now are extinct. And they are stunning in their design and beauty. And all of this is from God. The turkey you'll eat this week you owe to this day of creation. <laughs> the chicken we eat all year. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Along with the fish and shrimp and crabs and scallops, and we're glad we're not under Old Testament law, um, all of these things, living beings of air and sea, gifts from God to us. Strikingly, the text says God blessed these living beings, these creatures, and caused them to multiply and fill the earth, just as later he will bless humanity. And then there's the livestock and land animals. The first farm equipment was living. Animals that worked alongside man to cultivate and develop the earth. Farmers, shepherds, cattlemen, all make their living in part because God created these land animals. In fact, Many of you would not know what to do in the fall, but for this day of creation, um, I'm speaking to the hunters. Um, <laughs> angels announced to shepherds the birth of the Messiah child, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and the great shepherd of the sheep. We who believe are his flock, and we learn who we are and who God is in part from the land animals he made. Milk, eggs, beef, venison, only 35 minutes to an hour till lunch. <laughs> but the value of all these animals is more than just food, which was given after the flood to us to eat them as well. The earth teems with land animals. It would not seem like home without them. Horses and dogs and cats, even cats. <laughs> and some of you I know are great cat lovers. I, those are fighting words, I know. But the, these pets, best friends for many a family and for many a person left alone. Psalm 104, which really would do well just to read through the whole psalm. We're just going to zone in on one verse. Oh, Lord, how manifold, how, how much variety is in your works, in wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. You know, th think, of, think about all the things that we do. Think about all the careers that are rooted in the fact that God created all these things. Take some time this week to thank God for his gift to us of light and skies and solid land and seas and fruit trees, and vegetation of every kind, 
sun, moon, stars, birds of the air, fish of the sea, livestock, and land animals. Everywhere you look, every day you live, you benefit from God, what God has put in place. All this filling the earth so that it is the perfect place He custom-made for our good. To be grateful to Him, all you have to do is pay attention. He gave us a place to live, and then He he gave us a purpose to fulfill. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We have purpose because of our identity as those made in the image of God. Everything we do on earth is an expression of God's having handed over to human beings the responsibility of managing the planet well. Much of our history, we've done a pretty poor job of that, with abuse and destruction following in our wake. Because of our sin, the earth resists yielding to our cultivation. It generates thorns and thistles where crops are supposed to grow. But before our rebellion against God, before the curse of death came down on us for our sin, we had the power to subdue the earth and exercise wise dominion over it. Now such management requires toil and sweat and pain until our bodies drop and return to the ground from which God made us. Still, though, still, even though twisted and torn by sin's curse, much remains that brings us great good. God made us in His image so that we could have a relationship with Him. We are cut off by our willful sin, and He's made a way through Christ Jesus for us to be reconciled, brought back into that relationship with Him. And those who trusted in Christ have begun to experience once again the closeness to God that we lost in the Garden of Eden when we listened to the snake and rebelled against God. Furthermore, God made us male and female in His image. He is the triune God with a relationship among the persons of the Godhead of steadfast love, and He made us in His image for community as well. The close, loving union of husband and wife, each distinctive, designed in every way to complete one another. Male is good. Female is good the way God designed it. We don't have to try to change it, which, by the way, we can't. We can't. It's good. If you're male, be a male that honors God. Use your strength for protection and for gentleness and and for looking out for others, if you are female, use your femaleness for good with your design and, and management and eye for beauty. Only two human beings, Adam and Eve, couldn't possibly subdue and exercise dominion over the whole earth. 
So God gave them an enclosed garden, a paradise at first. But they would have children. The community of two would expand to a family of more. And in time, they were to fill the earth with human beings who had managed the entire planet. Their maleness and their femaleness were, were part of that plan, and they're working together part of that plan. Male is good. Female is good. Marriage is good. Children are good. Family is good. Community is good. Our joy as human beings requires loving relationships with others. And the work of God has given us to do means that we will have to work together. You don't have to be married. If you're human, you're part of community. And God has designed you to work together with others to fulfill a purpose. It is our sin that disrupts the relationships and tears them apart. And when we are made right with God, the relationships of love emerge and grow. In fact, every time we gather together, part of the reason we gather is not just it's not just to sing songs. It's not just to hear the Word of God. It's also to express our togetherness of a relationship of steadfast love as brothers and sisters in Christ where we know there are people that actually care about us, care that we're alive, and care that we're doing well. God created us to be that way from the beginning. Think of all the good ways human beings have managed the earth all the farming, all the road building, all the civil engineering, all the tools and technology, all the ways we work to make a better life for ourselves and for those around us. It's all because God gave us capacity to work together, to create, to cultivate, to imagine that what is could be better and to make it happen, to make it productive and beneficial. Every legitimate job any of us has finds its roots in the command and blessing of God given to us as a human race began at the very beginning. We have a purpose to fulfill. So who are the human beings, male and female, young and old, God has placed in your life for your good and you for theirs? Thank God for them. What work capacities and opportunities has God given to you? And by the way, the definition of work is not that you, that you get paid for it. Work is good whether you get paid for it or not. Work is part of expressing who you are as a human being and, and being productive. And there's certainly payoff for the work, but it's not always like for a wage. So those of you that are quote-unquote retired, that doesn't mean the work has stopped, Right? In fact, you're wondering how you ever had time for work for somebody else. Um, but there's work to be done that's a benefit. So thank God for those capacities. Thank God for the opportunities. You know, when, when people don't have capacity and don't have opportunity to work, usually what happens in short order is that they die. We need something to live for, and God gave us a purpose to fulfill. So, so what successes have you enjoyed through your labors. Thank God for them. Because you couldn't have done any of it apart from His work. You have a, a blessed identity and a high purpose all because of God. So thank Him every day 
you live. You created none of it on your own. So one of the things I like to do, and, and I got this from some other people over time, is, is just that when I wake up in the morning, it's like to thank God that I'm still alive and, and to thank God for a new day and to ask God to help me live it well, to help me fulfill the purpose, his purpose, that he gave me the day for. And then God gave us provision to sustain us, and that's a fancy way of saying food. Food. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. By the way, we didn't have meat for food yet because there was no death. It's hard to eat things while they're still alive, uh, at least animals. Um, they don't go for that. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Now, we don't live to eat, but we must eat to live. So every good thing you put in your mouth that gives you strength and nourishment comes from God's having made it so. We live because he's decreed it so. Every day is a gift from him. Every meal is like manna from heaven. The, the Old Testament puts it this way, and Christ quotes it, man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's the one that decrees whether you live or die. God's the one who controls, and he uses food to help sustain you. Many of us are in the habit of giving thanks for our food before a meal. We, just, we do it kind of instinctively now. But let me encourage you not to make it merely a formality. When you savor the food you love, when you're filled with the food you need, think of the truth that you have food to eat because God blessed you with it. Even your capacity to earn a living comes from him. So literally every bite you eat calls for gratitude from him. And by the way, the Old Testament warns us not to complain about the food he provides, doesn't it? God fed the vast multitudes in the wilderness and gave them drink when there was no apparent available food or water. And when they complained, he judged them for it. So when you eat, think on him and his great goodness to you. Find joy in knowing he loves you enough to give you food and the ability to digest it so that it gives you energy and health for your daily work and high purpose. And aren't you glad he created variety because there are probably are, are none of us that like everything. You know, when we're kids, we eat what's put in front of us. We learned that. As we get older, why would I do that? I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat what I like. And hopefully what I like is good for me. Okay? But, but the reality is that there's so much variety. There's so much joy even in eating. God could have just given us little gray pills that we pop once a day. What a, what a boring life. And God gave us food to eat and gave the animals food as well. So what foods, you say, well, this doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, sorry, it's in the Bible. And, <laughs> and, and it's really very practical. Like you're not going to go along without food and drink. So what foods do you enjoy eating? 
And how did you end up getting to eat them? You know, you'll enjoy it even more sometimes if you think about, I think this is some of the appeal of, of hunting and fishing and, and gardening is knowing the process that got it there versus just going to the grocery store and checking off the list. In what ways can you express thanks to God and to others for God's provision of food for you? Like, I think when we're younger, when we're kids, maybe, maybe we tend more to complain about our food. What if instead you just thank your parents for the food you have? Thank you for fixing that and, and complimented what tastes good to you. Because of the trials of life in a sin-cursed world, this morning you may be struggling with whether God is truly good to you. Well, I would ask you to open your eyes and with your eyes, Open your heart. Even now, much good still fills your life. And the best is yet to come when the curse is gone because of Jesus. What God has given to us is good, very good, because that's what He is, good, very good. He's given us a place and a purpose and the provision that we need. Let's pray. God, our hearts can be rebels and our hearts can be cold. And Lord, it seems that it's an easy rut for us to fall into of ingratitude or to take things for granted. It seems sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it. Um, so, God, help us. Help us look around. Help us be very much aware of all the goodness that you've poured into our lives and, and how, actually, you, you put it there from the beginning so that, that every day that we've actually been alive and, and, and when we started to notice what was going on around us, we were already benefiting from what you have done and how you supply Lord, may, may, may we be grateful people. May we be convinced of your goodness. And, and Lord, may that help us walk the path you've given us to, to walk and fulfill the purpose you've given us to fulfill. And instead of straying to side paths and to destructive courses, Lord, may we walk the paths of righteousness because you're shepherding us and you're, you're, you're making it so we have no need because you're giving us all that we need. May we rejoice in your provision and and Lord, may that joy in your goodness, that gratitude for all you are and all you've done, may that spill over to the lives of those who know us. May we not be the sour person that poisons uh, the, the relationships that we have, but may we be a person so full of gratitude that, that it helps lift the hearts and countenances of those around us to you, the great good giver of all things good. Lord, you are good, very good. Lord, let us never forget it. Let us live in the joy of the Lord, for that is our strength. In Christ's name.